like that. Hello, one and all. Welcome to that. this it's Friday edition of the Logan Blackman, Blackman Show. We successfully made it through a full week, ladies and gentlemen. Give yourselves a big old round of applause. Oh my goodness, we did it. I didn't think we'd do it. To be 100% honest with you, I did not, I was not really confident in doing it. I thought we would, <laughs> we would uh, be struggling to make it a week. But I think we've been gone for so freaking long that it was just, we had to get something. We had, we had to do a full week. If we didn't do a full week, we'd be called frauds by every single person out there. And man, I'm excited for today's show. I'm very excited for today's show. We got a little something, something, something for you. But before we get into anything today, we got to go over some housekeeping items. Make sure you follow the Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. The Twitter account is Logan underscore Blackman. There is no show Twitter account, or there is, but it, I don't use it. It does exist. It is still out there. It is not deactivated, but I have not used it in quite a while, in quite a while. The Instagram is Blackman Logan, and the show's Instagram account is The Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook Lil Logan Blackman Show, like it, follow it, do whatever. Same thing goes for YouTube, and of course, you're listening to it right now. So make sure you're following and or subscribe to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or just one or the other. Or if you have both, if you have an iPhone, have Spotify and Apple Podcasts, do that. If you have an Android, just subscribe on on you know Spotify. Leave a rating on both. Leave a description below on why you want, why you think the rating deserve is deserving. Of what you gave it. Whether it's a full episode of the show in general, just leave us a rating. Tell us how you think of the show. I say us. Tell me how you think of the show. I don't know why I always talk like that. Where it's, we like to think of this. I word things like when I do like a mock draft or something, I always say we. Or if I'm making a description for a show, it's we or our. Like, there's one person here. There ain't nobody else here. Now, that'd be kind of funny and a cool segue to introduce a guest here, but sadly, we do not have a guest today. I'm going to try and get a guest on here soon. I don't know how soon, but we'll leave you waiting. We'll leave you wanting more. Like, oh, there's going to be a guest at some point. There's going to be a guest. And I've been watching a lot of podcasts recently. I, I don't normally watch podcasts all that often. To be 100% honest with you, yes, I host a podcast, but I don't really listen to them that often. But when I get bored or something, I go on YouTube. As most people, I know most people like some, a lot of people go on YouTube. I am one of them. Some people go on Netflix. Some people go on Hulu. Some go on TikTok or just different social media platforms, whatever. You'll go on there when you're bored just to find something to do. But when you're working, you just want something on in the background. You'll throw on like a podcast or something. At least most people throw on a podcast or listen to music. But since I need my phone, well, I guess I, you could listen to music regardless, I guess, right? I guess podcast is just a you know a more monotone version of singing I, I guess you could put it <laughs> put it that way but I don't listen to music when I'm working I, I listen to music in the car I'll listen to music on my record player when I'm doing like diff- miscellaneous chores around the house or if I'm like folding clothes or something like that I'll throw on my record player or from the shower I'll throw on some music as well but when I'm at work I throw on now I'll throw on a podcast I've been listening to the pivot quite a bit which is Ryan Clark, Channing Crowder, and Fred Taylor. And I've also been listening the past couple days, been hearing some of the episodes from I Am Athlete, which is Brandon Marshall's podcast, with Chad Ochocinco or Chad Johnson, whichever one you want to call him. And he have different guests. I've watched one with Chris Johnson, the former 2,000-yard running back, CJ2K, all-time leader in all-purpose yards for a season in NFL history, breaking Marshall Fox record. I saw an episode with Shady McCoy, Deshaun Jackson. I saw a pivot episode with Darren Waller. Mike Tomlin, Jamarcus Russell, that's the one that got me listening to these things. 
because I saw on Twitter Jamarcus Russell was on a podcast. I have not heard a peep about Jamarcus Russell since he, I don't know if you want to call it retired. I don't know if he's officially retired or not. I don't remember if he said that on the podcast or not, but I don't, if he didn't officially retire since the last time he played in the NFL or was around the NFL, but I've watched a lot of these recently and they're fun to watch. They're very, very fun to watch. So I feel very sorry for you if you're listening to this show and you go like, oh, they have three to four people on a show at a time. You get all these different opinions and in this show, you just have one, unless you're, you know, reading the Logan Blackman show and he says, our, we're, or all that kind of stuff. So yeah, but it's been fun. It's been really, really fun. So I've tried to get some more, I'm going to try and get some more guests on and get some more interactions and stuff like that. I don't know who the next guest will be or again, when that will be, but you know, it could be fun. And one thing that everybody seems to like to talk about, we talked about this on Wednesday's episode was the Madden rankings. We have more Madden rankings coming out. This is the, the least important thing we're talking about because again, I don't play Madden, haven't in a while, and I'm not very good at Madden. Like T-Boy, he's been on the show before. And he cooks me in Madden. This dude's overly competitive in Madden. Now, I can rinse him in FIFA. 2K is competitive, but FIFA's mine, Madden's his. I'll give him that. Like, I don't even get competitive. I don't even get mad at Madden. I'll get mad in 2K if I start losing. Even though I don't play 2K all that often, if I lose in 2K, I'll be upset. Now, I don't lose too often, especially when I'm playing people like, uh, like Kevin. I, if he's listening to the show, <laughs> I always winned some truly awesome ways against Kevin. Truly awesome, awesome ways. But Madden, you know, divides opinions because people are like, man, this game sucks. But the people that also say this game sucks, some of them are the people that are going to go out and buy the game and then get pissed off after the first week when they realize, oh, this one also sucks. But the Madden rankings, regardless if you play the game or not, is something to talk about because you want to see your team's, your team's best players or your favorite players ranked high. You want to see your players ranked higher than the next team's players. You don't want to see your rival team's players ranked higher. If you think your player is underrated and stuff like that, you're going to want to see them ranked extremely high. Okay? And last show, we went over the tight ends, the wide receivers, the D linemen, edge rushers, and what was the other one? I don't remember the other position we went over. I think corners. I think corners was the other one we went over. And to be honest, there wasn't a lot I had a, a ton of issues with. Like, I had some, like Darius Leonard being ranked higher, I feel like should be a thing. I just thought that would be a natural thing. Jamar Chase being ranked higher, I think, should be a thing. DJ Watt potentially being ranked higher. It's really weird when you get to, like, the 90s, especially with TJ Watt at 96 and saying he should be ranked higher than that. But I don't think he's four ra- three ratings off of Miles, Miles Garrett. I don't think he's four ratings off, or three ratings off. I think he should be a little closer than that. And Jamar Chase, I think he's like an 87, is not worse currently than Amari Cooper and some of the other receivers that are ranked above him on the Madden list. Oh, and tight ends was another thing. Did we mention tight ends? I didn't really have an issue with the tight ends list because there's you know, different variables to being a tight end, whether you're a blocking tight end, receiving tight end, or whatever, or you're old, whatever. But this is the first one that we saw the other day. So we got safeties. And best safety duo in Madden 23. I think this is pretty self-explanatory. Why do I say that? It's because it's the only one on this list out of the top 10 safeties in the game. There's only one safety pairing on this list. So why would you pose the question of best safety duo in the NFL when you already know who the best safety duo is in the NFL? Like We've talked about it a thousand times, and you can call me biased or whatever. I don't even think this is that biased of a take. 
Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde are easily the best safety tandem in the NFL. Easily the best safety tandem in the NFL. Now, we brought this up on Wednesday. We went over my the best player at each position, I believe, on Wednesday. And there was one player in particular that I brought up that was like, I think he's a tad bit overrated. Not college version, but the NFL version, at least currently. And that's Tyron Matthew. And Tyron Matthew is the highest rated safety in the game at 94. Do I have a ton of problems with that? No. I don't have a ton of issues with that. But would I take him over Poirier or Hyde? I would not. But again, that's coming from me defending my, my team's players. Most of the time, unless your player's like extremely bad, you're going to pick your team's players over another player, especially one that played for a rival team in the Kansas City Chiefs, which isn't like a long-standing rivalry in the NFL between the Bills and Chiefs, but it's a recent one. It's the one rivalry the NFL is trying to build up as the next Brady-Manning rivalry and stuff like that. But my dad and I have talked about this before. Until the Bills beat the Chiefs in the playoffs, we don't really consider that a rivalry. But Tyron Matthews now on the New Orleans Saints, went back home to Baton Rouge, or not Baton Rouge, to New Orleans. Baton Rouge is where the LSU Tigers play. But he's the highest-rated safety in the league. Number two is Derwin James. And he was the guy I said, when healthy, is the best safety in the NFL. So I have no issues with Derwin James being ranked number two. Number three is Buda Baker. He's joint three, I guess, with Kevin Byard, who, again, I said is pretty underrated. Doesn't get talked about enough. And it's weird to say someone's underrated when they're 92 rating in Madden. But I feel like when the... When most people talk about the best safeties in the NFL, you don't hear Kevin Byard mentioned that often. At least, maybe I'm not seeing it. But I feel like Kevin Byard deserves to get talked about more, and I'm glad he's a 92. Buda Baker, very good player as well. Micah Hyde's at number 5 at 91, joined with Justin Simmons at number 6, both at 91. Jesse Bates for the Cincinnati Bengals is a 90, along with Jordan Poyer, Harrison Smith, and Jamal Adams. How is Jamal Adams a 90 overall safety right now? Jamal Adams got traded to the Seahawks for basically a quarterback ransom to complete what was seen as a pretty good defense and improve their defense. He has not done that. Jamal Adams has done nothing sort of, you know, improving the, <laughs> the Seahawks defense. Now, I don't know a ton of safeties off the top of my head right now, but I feel like Amos, Adrian Amos from the Green Bay Packers, I think he's a very nice safety. Eddie Jackson normally would be up there. But the one that I've just seen that I completely forgot about when we brought him up the other day was Minka Fitzpatrick. How is Minka Fitzpatrick not on this list? I don't know how it just came. I was looking. I don't know why I just thought of it now. But how is Minka Fitzpatrick on not on this list, but Jamal Adams is? I really have no issues with one through nine. Jamal Adams over Minka Fitzpatrick kind of crazy to me. I don't know. I don't know. Why is Minka Fitzpatrick not in there? Did they forget? Minkovich Patrick? Like, Harrison Smith, we brought him up. He's old, but that dude's Mr. Consistent. I think he deserves a 90 rating. There ha there's three 90 rating, four 90 ratings on this list. Seven through ten are all 90s rated. So could there be some creeping into the fifth range with Minkovich Patrick at a 90? Because I refuse to believe at this point in time Minkovich Patrick is worse than Jamal Adams. At their peaks, maybe you have a a case there. But right now, I kind of find it hard to believe that he is better than Minkovich Patrick. The next position group we have on here is running backs, but the overall running backs are not on here. Like, it has their different individual position, like, a, like carrying, change of direction, juke, 
Like, they have that on here, but they don't have the overall ratings. I have seen it, and Derrick Henry is still the number one running back at the NFL in 97. At least I believe that's what it was. Could be 96. I don't really remember. But that's not on Madden's official Twitter account. But we'll move on. Kickers. We already said Justin Tucker, easy, one of the easier positions in the NFL. Justin Tucker's a 90 overall rated in this game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the next goes kicker is 80, 84. Harrison Bucker, which makes sense. Evan McPherson started off the season slow last year, but ended really strong, so he's number three. Youngway Koo is at 82, number four, which if you saw the start of Youngway Koo's career with the Chargers, the reason they missed the playoffs that year and the Bills snuck in after the Bengals beat the Ravens in that last second throw from <laughs> Andy Dalton to Tyler Boyd, or not last second, but that throw from Andy Dalton to Tyler Boyd, if he made field goals in the first two or three games of the season, the Chargers are making the playoffs. I accept that. I accept that. 82 next is Chris Boswell. Then we got Graham Gano at number six. Daniel Carlson at seven, which same with Daniel Carlson. When you saw how his Vikings career started, you wouldn't probably never thought he'd be an 81 in the NFL. You never really, really thought that. Robbie Gold's next. Then we got Matt Gay and Brandon, Mc, Brandon McManus. I don't know. I feel my boy Tyler Bass should be a little bit higher on this list. I like Tyler Bass. I think he's like a 76 rating in this game, which based on the rest of the kickers in this game were the second highest kickers in 84. They're not showing a lot of love to the kicking game right now. But Justin Tucker, I mean, arguably the greatest kicker of all time. Him and Adam Terry are very neck and neck in that regard, in my opinion. So I really have no issues with the kickers, I guess. Then moving on to the next position group, what do we got next on here? Defensive linemen? Do we have the full defensive lineman ratings, or do we just have... No, we do not. Can we have, like, overall ratings, please? We're not even throwing these up anymore. Why can't I see this? <laughs> Where's the math? Where are the ratings for these players? Why did kickers pop up, but not corners, not D linemen? Why can't I not see these rankings? It's just their individual, like, statistics, where it's like, who's the best at block shedding? I mean, I don't really need to tell you who's the best overall corner or, or defensive lineman in this game. I think everybody is under aware, under the influence that it is going to be Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, both from the L.A. Rams, and Jalen Ramsey's a 98 overall. Number two is Jair Alexander. We brought up Jair Alexander the other day. I think Jair Alexander, Jair Alexander is easily a top five corner in this league. He just battled a lot of injuries last year. The dude barely played last year. And number three, I'm kind of surprised by this. Not like surprises he doesn't deserve to be there. He definitely does. But I am really surprised that Tredavious White is number three. 93 overall. Towards ACL against the Saints last year. But I have no issues with this. Tredavious White is easily a top five corner in this league. Easily. And at number three, I have no issues with that at all. Again, this comes from the point of you want your favorite team, your favorite players, your favorite team to be rated high. And Tredavious White is one of my favorite players on my favorite team. I have his jersey. He definitely deserves to be top five. Then we have Denzel Ward. We brought it before. Got a nice little contract extension this offseason, so I have no issue with Denzel Ward. Darius Slay at number five. Then Marshawn Lattimore. I'd put Lattimore above Slay. And I might even put Marlon Humphrey above Slay. But I have no real issues with Darius Slay at number five. Then we have Stephon Gilmore at seven, which Stephon Gilmore at his peak defensive player of the year. Stephon Gilmore now, I don't know, is a 91 overall and better than J.C. Jackson, Marlon Humphrey, and, and current A.J. Terrell. I don't know about that. I don't really know about that. But, hey, I have no real issues with that. J.C. Jackson, Marlon Humphrey are both 90s. A.J. Terrell is an 89. I think those guys, I think A.J., I think Marlon Humphrey and Marshawn Lattimore are better than 91 and 90, 
overall. I think those two should be the two outs in the top five. One of those two in the top five. Over current, I, I don't know. I like Darius Slay. I'm nit, I'm being really nitpicky right now. I really like Darius Slay though, so I shouldn't be. Oh, Trayvon Diggs wasn't even on there. <laughs> but I guess that's what happens. Yeah, you lead the league in interceptions, but you also lead the league in yards allowed. So you got to pick and choose there. So I guess that's why he's outside of that ranking here. Where's the next list on here? I don't know why I can't find running backs. This is starting to piss me off a little bit. I'm finding every other position. We found safeties. We found all of this. Where's running backs? Running backs. Because running backs ratings got released. Okay, not that one. Okay, here. Is this it? Is this legit? This better be legit. So, top 10 running backs in the NFL. I mean, the people that I mentioned in the top five are all there. Now, Alvin Kamara sits at seven. I had him in the top five, but... I have no real issues. I have no issues. I said Dalvin Cook's right on right there as well. Dalvin Cook's at number five. But it goes Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Christian McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara, Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, and then Zeke. I don't – is Zeke a top ten running back in the NFL right now? Like, I, we talked about this on Wednesday, and I think this is a conversation that needs to be had more. I think it is had quite a bit, though of Tony Pollard being probably maybe better than Ezekiel Elliott. So I don't really think that we can look at Zeke and go, yeah, that's a guaranteed top 10 running back. I don't know if I can say that. I really don't know if I can say Zeke is currently a top 10 running back in the NFL. I think he's very good. I think he's good running back, but top 10, top 10. Now, with saying that, I've also got to try and find a running back that I think might be better than Zeke in that last spot. I mean, Saquon Barkley's one that you can mention, but he's been hurt the past two years. So it's going to be hard to say that he should be anything higher than an 88. I don't know what rating is exactly. Najee Harris, does he deserve to be that high, or is he probably going to be like an 85 or something? J.K. Dobbins, probably the same thing, but he was hurt all year last year, so it's going to be hard to rate him. James Robinson? Is James Robinson better than Zeke? I don't know. Again, I'm being a little too nitpicky here because now I've got to try and find a running back that would be ranked 10th, and I can't think of one. I have no issue with no, one through nine on here. No real issue. McCaffrey at 86, 96 hasn't played and still kept a 96 rating because this dude's cold. Chris McCaffrey's a very cold player. Dude, dude is one of my favorite running backs of all time because of the fact I watched this dude tear my favorite college football team a new asshole in the Rose Bowl single-handedly. First play of the game, right down the middle. 70-something yard touchdown, maybe 80-something yard touchdown. Stanford won like 45-17, to 17, something like that. Brutal game. And then you see him transition to the NFL, and he's doing the same thing. So it's like, I don't really feel as bad anymore. I've watched this dude tear apart the Iowa Hawkeyes defense in the Rose Bowl. He's doing this to grown men. To professional athletes. Like, I feel no pain about the Rose Bowl anymore because I'm watching Christian McCaffrey be that guy. If this, if Christian McCaffrey in the NFL was just another running back, like if he tore apart the Hawkeyes and was just average after that, then I'd, I'd feel a lot worse about it because he'd get made fun of a lot more. But when people go, oh, Christian McCaffrey destroyed the Hawkeyes, I say, yeah, he did. He destroys a lot of teams. I really have no issue with it. But if you said someone like, 
I don't know. Who's a who's a average running back in the NFL that was very, very good in college? That had really no real peak in the NFL. Because I know Melvin Gordon ran for over 200 yards against the Hawkeyes. But Melvin Gordon's had a nice NFL career, so I don't want to say him. Because I would even be like, yeah, I like Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon's a big dude. Good running, very nice running back. Chris Carson, okay? Not Chris, not Chris Carson, Rashad Penny. Like Rashad Penny had a very good college career. He led the nation in rushing yards when he was at San Diego State. And then once he got to Seattle, was instantly the back and was seen as a reach when they drafted him. He wasn't the number one running back on pretty much anybody's board and was drafted in the first round by the Seahawks. But then you keep going in the top ten like Jonathan Taylor at 95. I think Jonathan Taylor, based off last year, should be the second highest, if not the highest rated running back in the league. Like Jonathan Taylor was the only reason the Colts were even sniffing the playoffs last year. You saw what happened against Jacksonville. They put the ball in Carson Wentz's hands, and look what happens. I have real no, no real issues with Carson Wentz, but when your best players are running back and you're calling passing plays, when the Jaguars' rush defense really, if I remember correctly, is not anything that spectacular, I'm going to have a little bit of an issue with it. Like, give the ball, put the ball in your best player's hands at all times. That's how it should always be. The best players should have the ball when the game's on the line. Yeah, the Jaguars ranked in what? The bottom 10 in the NFL in rush defense. The best players have the ball in their hands when the game's on the line, and the Colts were calling plays for Carson Wentz. Makes no sense to me. I think Jonathan Taylor last year was single-handedly the most important player for his team in the entire NFL. Based off last year, Jonathan Taylor was awesome. He almost he carried me to the championship game in fantasy football, just couldn't get it done in the championship game. Dalvin's nice, Chubb's nice, Derrick Henry's nice. Like, yeah, those are, running, those are all really nice running backs. Was there any other position groups that we did not mention that got released? Brees Hall has a 91 change of direction rating, which is pretty impressive. Where was it? There had to be something else on here. Where was the next? I I know there's another position group that I'm forgetting. D lineman, did D lineman get released or is that just Aaron Donald? Because Aaron Donald's on the 99 club again. Surprisingly, I think it must have just been Aaron Donald's release. His um his rating. He's been like six straight years in the 99 club or something. Like it's crazy. It's crazy when you're looking at Aaron Donald. You see one of the best defenders of his generation. No, not one of them. He is the best defender of my lifetime. Since I have been watching the NFL from when I was growing up, Aaron Donald is the best, single best defender I've ever seen. And I would put him up there with like, like Ed Reed, I think is one of the greatest of all time in regards to defenders. Ray Lewis is up there. Like I think Ed Reed is the greatest defensive back of my lifetime. Darrell Revis. Is there anybody else that was really terrifying when I was growing up? Michael Strahan. Even Jared Allen, at points, was awesome. But Aaron Donald is dominant. This dude's scary. So when you look at Aaron Donald, you see he's easily the greatest defender of his generation. Maybe even one of the best football players of his generation. Or not one of the. Top three best football players of his generation. Then you look at, like, where does he rank in the all-time list in regards to being the best defender of all time? You have to look the only... There's really only one person you can compare him to in regards to that. Well, maybe not just one, but there's one big name that you, people look to as regards to the greatest defenders of all time. And that's Lawrence Taylor. The original LT. 
Now, LaDainian Tomlinson, I call LT. But you can call Lawrence Taylor LT if you want as well. I grew up watching LaDainian Tomlinson. I didn't grow up watching Lawrence Taylor. So when I hear LT, my brain instantly goes to LaDainian Tomlinson. But Lawrence Taylor, much like Aaron Donald, was not just the best defender of his time, might have been the best football player overall of his time. Now, he did have some stiff competition with like Jerry Rice, Joe Montana, those types of players, John Elway. But man, defenders-wise, he had Deion Sanders, Ronnie Lott. Who else was in that era that would have been listed up as some of the best players of that era defensively? Deion Sanders and Lawrence Taylor should be the first two you think of of all times. But Ronnie Lott's definitely up there. Dude cut off his top of his finger because he wanted to go back in and play. Didn't want surgery. There's someone at Daryl Green, but Daryl Green played forever. I don't remember the first year Daryl Green came. Did he come in in 93? I don't know if Daryl Green... Yeah, Daryl Green, uh, Lawrence Taylor aren't in the same era. Daryl Green played forever, though. (laughs) It was consistently the fastest player in the league when he played. But, like, Lawrence Taylor, when you look at Lawrence Taylor, like, how dominant Aaron Donald has been, you look at... Aaron, Lawrence Taylor's perfect season, 1986-87, when the Giants won the Super Bowl. So Lawrence Taylor, Super Bowl MVP. They crushed the Broncos in the Super Bowl. Crushed them. Super Bowl champ, NFL MVP, NFL Defensive Player of the Year, Pro Bowler, eh, first team All-Pro, sixth season in a row, much like Aaron Donald, six straight 99 clubs, and NFL sack leader, 20.5 sacks, third all-time for an outside linebacker. I don't know what you classify T.J. Watt as. Is T.J. Watt technically an outside linebacker or is he at the end? Because he had 22. So I think that might he might have the record. But either way, Super Bowl champ, MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Pro Bowler, First Team All-Pro, NFL sack leader. That, that is, might be, if not, probably is, the greatest season a defender has ever had in NFL history. And with Lawrence Taylor and those dominant Giants teams, that jo- dominant Giants defense – they released their retro uniforms. So for those of you who are completely under, unaware, underaware, unaware, NFL teams are starting to release some sick uniforms, sick alternates. Because the NFL changed the rule, now you can wear different paint schemes on your football helmet. Because the rule behind that was kind of, I don't know, at face value, it makes sense to the, the, the standard audience out there for the NFL. Where it's like, they don't want to change helmets. They want you to stick with the same helmet the entire year so you don't get concussed because your helmet's going to be worn in, you're going to be fitted better, and all that stuff. You don't want to keep changing in and out helmets. But on face value, when you look deeper in that, again, I brought this up on the show before, We, no matter what the helmet is, players in the NFL and in just football in general are getting bigger, faster, and stronger. No helmet out there, no matter how hard you try to make it work in your mind, will ever prevent a concussion. So the rule behind the NFL using only one helmet because, oh, they'll prevent concussions, doesn't really hold a lot of weight. Because players will get concussion. doesn't matter how hard you get hit. Anybody can get a concussion. Our brains are floating in our heads. They're not stayed still there. You're going to get a concussion regardless of the type of helmet you have. But on face value, again, the NFL changing, like, helmet technology and stuff like that. Now, I am aware, like, certain helmets, like, back in the six, the, the 30s and 40s, when they have leather helmets, yeah, those aren't as safe as today. So, yes, I will fold on that. But still, the helmets that you have today are really, I don't know, it's, it's, 
And there's also an argument, I've heard this before, like when you look at rugby, like rugby players hitting each other, like the NFL hits harder than rugby. Rugby is scary, but NFL hits harder than rugby. And part of that is like you have the shell on, you got the shoulder pads, the helmet, the pads, and everything like that, and it kind of gives you that false sense of protection to where you're not going to get hurt by this. There's no thought that if I ram this dude with my top of my head, I might die because you got a helmet on. So you're like, you feel safe. You feel protected. But really, like, knee pads, the most pointless pad anybody's ever had. Like, if you're past the high school, no one really wears knee pads. I didn't wear knee pads at William Penn. Granted, I, I play off, but... I didn't wear knee pads at William Penn. Most of the players I was with didn't really wear knee pads. Unless you had the full girdle, like knee pads, shoulder pads, shoulder pads, knee pads, hip pads, thigh pads, all that stuff. Unless you had that. I was built in one. It was basically like underwear. You weren't rocking knee pads. They're pointless. You get a helmet on that tiny flimsy knee pad, your knee's bending the other way. That tiny knee pad ain't saving you from nothing. <laughs> Like, people would use it just so they said they had them, would cut the tiniest little circle knee pad just to say they had a, some sort of knee pad in. They ain't doing nothing. But, man, I didn't really mean to go off on a tangent on, <laughs> on pads and shoulder pads, all that stuff. But the Giants released some new uniforms. They're the Lawrence Taylor uniforms from the, the 80s, 90s New York Giants. It says Giants on the side of the helmet. Got some nice royal blue jerseys. And I saw some Bills fans on Twitter because... You know, being a Bills fan, I see a lot of Buffalo Bills stuff on Twitter, posting screenshots of the Giants uniform and the Bills current uniform. And some of them may be joking around, but I kind of look at this as like the Hawkeyes complaining that Iowa State wore black uniforms. Like the Hawkeyes, Hawkeye fans in general, hate Iowa State wearing black uniforms. They hate it. And it's everywhere. I see it all the time. Now, more and more, I've seen more Iowa State fans pander at it than actual Hawkeye fans saying stuff about it. But the Hawkeyes stole their uniforms from the Pittsburgh Steelers. So you can't really be complaining about what other teams wear black uniforms. You can't really do that. The Bills' uniforms is new. Like, the Bills got new uniforms in, like, 2011, 2012, sometime around there. The Giants had these uniforms. So you can't really go... Oh, that's a nice copy of the Bills uniform. No, the Giants had these first. Nice copy of Iowa. But yeah, you stole the Steelers uniforms. Like, literally. The only difference between the Hawkeyes uniforms and the Steelers uniforms is that there's one logo on the side of the Steelers helmet. There's two on the Hawkeyes. And there's sometimes the Hawkeyes keep one side of the helmet on. One logo on the helmet on. Like when they wear rock the American flag logo on their helmet. But I love those uniforms. My dad doesn't like them because, I mean, he watched the Bills lose the Super Bowl with the Giants rocking those uniforms. So he does not like them. And the Giants, it's kind of an interesting uniform where the helmet's really dark. The helmet is really dark. With like a light royal blue uniform. But they are beautiful. They're wearing twice this season against the Bears and the Commanders, I believe it is. But there's some nice uniforms. Like the Bengals are rocking white helmets this year. The Panthers are rocking black helmets. The Cowboys just released their white helmets. You got the Texans rocking the red helmets. Is there any other uniforms that I'm forgetting here? But with these teams releasing uniforms, more and more teams are like, okay, let's get new uniforms in. Or more and more fans, not teams, but more and more fans are like, oh, we got to get new uniforms now. We got to get new uniforms. We got to get new uniforms. Where are the new uniforms? And they ain't coming. At least helmet-wise. People want to see new helmets. Do you want to see, like, the Patriots? I hate the Patriots with every fiber of my being. 
But, man, I do really like their red throwback uniforms. The uniforms they had in the 70s and 80s, those uniforms are awesome. Like when the Pagers went undefeated in 2007. Tom Brady with the flow with the red helmet on, dicing up the Tennessee Titans. Like, that is one of the coolest uniforms ever. Now, I do like the Patriots' current uniforms as opposed to their older ones, like the ones from a few years ago, but I do, I do really like those red ones. For the Bills, they're wanting the red helmets back. I would love to see the Bills rock red helmets again. We just got to make sure <laughs> that when the Bills rock red helmets this year, it is with the Jim Kelly era uniforms and not the J.P. Lossman era uniforms. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just do a little Google and you'll see what uniforms we're talking about, J.P. Lossman's uniforms and Jim Kelly's uniforms. Jim Kelly's uniforms are kind of similar to what the Bills are wearing now. The Bills are kind of rocking the Joe Ferguson era uniforms right now with the white helmets. But the J.P. Lossman era, oh, that's a lot of different colors of blue. Like, you did not know there was that many colors of blue until you saw J.P. Lossman try out on the field. And you saw some bad quarterbacks playing those uniforms. The team, Drew Bledsoe was the quarterback that was the first quarterback to play with those uniforms. Like, if you look at Drew Bledsoe's opening press conference when he first got introduced as a Buffalo Bills player after the trade with the Patriots, He's holding up, like, Rob Johnson's jersey. And then in the season, he's rocking these stupid navy blue shoulder pad things. Like, ugly uniforms. You saw the likes of Drew Bledsoe play. Then Drew Bledsoe, in those uniforms, was the best. And Drew Bledsoe, my favorite player growing up, favorite quarterback-wise, does not really compare to, like, (laughs) the upper echelon of the NFL. I know he went to the Super Bowl with the Patriots, but... He had one good year, really, in Buffalo, and that was pretty much it. But he had the likes of J.P. Lossman. You had Kelly Holcomb rock these uniforms. You had Trent Edwards. You had E.J. No. And that was just Ryan Fitzpatrick. And then E.J. came after Ryan Fitzpatrick. So E.J. never rocked those. EJ, Ryan Fitzpatrick was the last quarterback for the Bills to wear those uniforms. Is there any other quarterbacks I'm forgetting about? I think Troy Brown was in those uniforms, number 10. I think he played at Troy. Uh, maybe that's what I'm thinking. Maybe his name's not Troy, but... He played at Troy. <laughs> oh, the Bills had some bad quarterbacks in that era. Very bad quarterbacks. J.P. Lossman, Trent Edwards, the, the creme de la creme. Like, you're watching J.P. Lossman compete for a quarterback job with Kelly Holcomb. You're struggling there. You are struggling for quarterbacks there. But quarterbacks nowadays, like Drew Bledsoe, at the time, when he was with the Patriots, I think he signed the biggest contract in NFL history. I think he, I could be wrong. And I'm not going to look this up, so you can look this up for me. I'm pretty confident he was the first $100 million man in the NFL. I'm pretty confident in saying that. So when he got benched for Tom Brady after he got hurt and came back, I was like, oh, my God, we're keeping this guy on the bench for a sixth-round pick 199. That was a very smart decision in the end, but hard decision nonetheless. But Drew Bledsoe was kind of teetering at that point. He went to a Super Bowl, but then the Patriots kind of struggled after that when Bill Belichick first got there. And this little old guy named Tom Brady comes in and, you know, the rest is history. Thank you, Mo Lewis, for inflicting a bunch of pain on everybody for hurting Drew Bledsoe and allowing Tom Brady to play. Now, with Drew Bledsoe at that time, I think being the highest paid quarterback and the highest paid player for a $100 million man in the NFL, we're seeing some astronomical quarterback contracts and just player contracts in general. Like this offseason, we have seen more insane contracts signed than I feel we have in NFL history, all thanks to Christian Kirk. Totally reset the wide receiver market in regards to contracts. We saw Diggs get a new contract. A.J. Brown get traded because of the contract. Terry McLaurin's looking for a new contract. Like Debo Samuel was about to get traded, and he said, you know what, we'll figure something out. 
because he doesn't want to be a wide back, even though he's the one that coined that phrase and was very happy with what he was doing, seemingly what he was doing last year. Regardless, some crazy contracts. Patrick Mahomes signed that massive $500 million contract a few years ago. Josh Allen signed a massive contract. Aaron Rodgers gets a massive contract every other year. But then today, we got another massive contract. And his name, he goes by the name of Kyler Murray. And Kyler Murray right now is the second highest paid quarterback in the NFL. $46.1 million a year. Five-year, $230.5 million. That includes $160 million guaranteed. That's crazy. He gets more than Josh Allen and is not guaranteed as much money as Deshaun Watson, which is kind of weird. A lot less scandals going on with Kyler Kyler Murray. Now, I like Kyler Murray, okay? I I do like Kyler Murray. I liked him at Oklahoma, as I think most people did, and I thoroughly enjoyed the whole drama between him deciding between playing the NFL and playing baseball. I enjoyed the the idea of Cliff Kingsbury coming to the Cardinals just because he had a previous relationship with Kyler Murray. I love that. After getting fired at Texas Tech, he was about to take the USC offensive coordinator job. And then now gets promoted to an NFL coach and can't win. Surprise, surprise. But man, Kyler Murray, again, I like him. I like him, but that's a lot of money for Kyler Murray. Now, when you're the Cardinals and you have a quarterback like Kyler Murray, they're just basically going, we don't want to lose you. We'll give you whatever you want. They basically gave him a blank check and said, here, just write down a random number on it. We'll give it to you. Which the Cardinals have not really been the best when it comes to uh, <laughs> business decisions and stuff like that. But I like, again, I have to reiterate that I do like Kyler Murray. I do like Kyler Murray, but that is a lot of money for a top 12 quarterback. Top five, yeah, that's fine. Second highest paid quarterback in the NFL. And different people have different rankings, but for me, that dude ain't a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. He wa- I think he was at one point, but not towards the end of the season last year, dude was getting... It was not playing very well. It was not playing very well. And that was just the Cardinals as a whole towards the end of the season. Like That's just cl- classic Cliff Kingsbury, who was just getting carried by, by... Maybe that was Cliff Kingsbury that signed the contract. Cliff Kingsbury went to Steve Kime, the GM, and was like, hey, um, the only reason I'm in this job is because of Kyler Murray. Could you sign him to a long-term contract to make him the second-highest-paid quarterback in NFL history so I can keep my job because my job security relies on Kyler Murray being very good? Because if Kyler Murray starts going back, Cliff Kingsbury's out the door. The only thing that keeps Cliff Kingsbury in that job is because Kyler Murray is a good quarterback. (laughs) Kyler Murray can do a lot of things. He can do a lot of things with the football in his hands, but second highest paid quarterback in the NFL is crazy. Is crazy. Now, the guy he replaced, (laughs) Josh Rosen, right before I started the show, right almost an hour ago, Signed a one-year deal with the Cleveland Browns. So, when you're looking at it in hindsight, Josh, you wound up with the team that would have drafted you first overall, the Cleveland Browns. In 2018, they had the number one overall pick. They took Baker. Man, neither of the mistakes taken before you. Now you're with the Browns. Might have a chance to play, given how long Deshaun Watson's suspension is, which we still do have no idea what that is. But Cleveland is signing former first-round Josh Rosen to a one-year deal per source despite spending time with five other NFL teams. Rosen is only 25 years old, and those who have been around and believe he's ready to prove he belongs. BS. I do not care. 
I lost sympathy for Josh Rosen after the draft. Like, at UCLA, it was clear Josh Rosen was a very talented quarterback. He is, he, he is talented. He is. But when you're talented and also an a-hole, people stop kind of caring when, you don't, when things don't really go your way. You can't get drafted in the NFL 10th overall and then come on the press conference and say, how many Super Bowl Brady have? Okay, I'm trying to win seven. Now he has seven. So now, I'm going to, now he's got to win eight. And he's already been on five teams, so I don't really know if that's possible at this point. And then you also can't say there were nine other mistakes drafted before me. When you have players like Quentin Nelson, Roquan Smith, and Josh Allen drafted before you. And Denzel Ward. Like, there's some, there were some good players drafted in that top ten that were drafted before <laughs> Josh Rosen. So you can't really be saying that. That's pretty crazy. Even then it was crazy. Now it looks even crazier. And I'll never forget this. Colin Cowherd, who I I have conflicted opinions about Colin Cowherd. I have a lot of conflicted opinions about him. Because I understand what he's doing. I understand what he's doing. In regards to, you got to get viewers. you got to get people talking. But his opinion changes on things like that. Like, so fast. Like, in the 2018 NFL Draft, I know things can change over time. It's been five years, four years since the 2018 NFL Draft. But I never forget watching this. Because when you're a team that drafted a quarterback in the top ten, with a team that has had... 17 different quarterbacks since Jim, 16 different quarterbacks since Jim Kelly. None of them have worked. When you have that and you finally get one that you think could be the guy, regardless of what he did in college, and regardless of people calling him a bust before he even played a snap in the NFL, regardless of that, you still want people in the media to hype up your team and say, yeah, they got it right. No. Colin Coward said that the Jets and Cardinals came out of the way of the biggest winners of the draft when they drafted Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. The two worst quarterbacks drafted in the first round of 2018. I know hindsight's a beautiful thing, but man. And look at the two dudes that were seen as the biggest projects, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. They're easily the two best. And Baker's sitting in purgatory just at number three. He's better than Sam Darnold, but he ain't anywhere close to Lamar Jackson. Anywhere close. <laughs> like, not even height-wise. Like he ain't even close. He's, Lamar's like three inches taller than him. Maybe more. Because I, Baker Mayfield's listed at six foot. I don't know how tall he really is. I don't know. Because for those of you who are unaware, this is a little tidbit for football for you. And just sports in general. His height probably ain't six foot. Because when I was in high school, and even in college, like high school they gave us like two inches and 15 to 20 pounds. Like I was, I liked what my weight was and height was in high school. I was six foot 190. I was like, I'm content with that. I think that's a cool, I think it sounds, two zeros at the end, like six foot zero, 190, like I liked the zeros at the end, so I didn't want to change anything. But then at William Penn, it was just like, hey, what's your height and weight? They didn't care. I could have said I was six, seven, 450 pounds. They just asked me what my height and weight was. None of these numbers are official. Like Kevin Durant is the prime example of this. Kevin Durant is a six, nine small forward because he says six, nine small forward just sounds right. That dude is about seven feet tall. He ain't no 6'9". Kevin Durant ain't no 6'9". He is not that. But 6'9 power forward, that's what it is. So that's what he was like, hey, this sounds good. 
So we'll do it like this. Like, Kyler Murray was 5'10 and 1'8 at the Combine. Like, you know how much you are reaching a 5'10 and 1'8? <laughs> I'll never forget that because that was that Combine, that's the only thing he did at the Combine was the me- height measurement. <laughs> that's the only thing he did. Because I was at UNI at the time. And I was doing a show as that was happening. I don't know if I have this on the podcast anywhere. It'd be really far back, but... That was hilarious. That's the only thing he did, and he left. Like Deion Sanders ran the forty, left. Like he, uh, the as the story goes, Deion Sanders ran the forty, hopped in a limo and just left. Didn't even do anything. And he, his famous line: "You ever seen a cheetah stretch?" I haven't. And he goes and runs a four-two something forty. I think it was a four-two nine forty. Like Deion Sanders, it's just Deion Sanders, man. The curl looked wet, but it was dry. Like you know what I'm saying? Like Deion Sanders is that dude. Deion Sanders is the greatest cornerback of all time, and it's not really that close. Like I made fun of Jalen Ramsey a lot when he first was coming to the league because he was trying to be Deion Sanders. And at some points, he still is trying to be Deion Sanders, but the dude is good. I'll give, I'll give Jalen Ramsey his credit. He is a good cornerback. But the trash talk and calling out every single quarterback in the NFL, I would love to find one quarterback that he called out in that GQ interview that actually was as bad as what he said he was. Like, I'm pretty sure all the quarterbacks that he said were really bad Jalen Ramsey lost to. Like Josh Allen beat him after coming off like four weeks of an elbow injury, five, six weeks. Some like it was he was out for a while until he played Jalen Ramsey. I was at that game. That was awesome. That game was beautiful. That is that might be my favorite game I've ever been to. In regards to everything going exactly how I wanted, like the best game I've ever been to is the Chiefs Bills game in the playoffs, which was nominated, which won the best game of 2021-22. So I'm not surprised by that at all. That is the greatest football game of all time. And you could say recency biased of all that. And I like I'm not even biased, because by all accounts, I should be saying that game sucked. And it did result wise. But I've never seen a quarterback duel like that. Ever. That's the greatest quarterback duel of all time. I've never seen that before. In my years of watching football and how many great games I watched Tom Brady and Peyton Manning play against each other, I never saw that. I never saw that. And it's just a shame that Josh Allen and the Bills had to come on the wrong side of that. But that Josh Allen this season, this postseason, had one of the greatest runs in postseason history without a Super Bowl. Every single st- significant number, Josh Allen was top three in NFL history. He's the only one out of those lists that doesn't have a Super Bowl. Others that are mentioned up there with him with Joe Montana and Bart Starr both have plenty of Super Bowls. At least championships. Bart Starr, I think, has championships before the Super Bowl, but Joe Montana has four Super Bowls. He ain't really sweating it. Super Bowl MVP in three of them. <laughs> Without Jerry Rice in two of them. So if you want to say Jerry Rice made Joe Montana, do won two Super Bowls before Jerry Rice. So let's calm down on Joe Montana being a system player and Joe Montana was made by Jerry Rice because that dude was a winner and a killer before the greatest wide receiver of all time came his way. Oh, man. And speaking of legendary quarterbacks, look at these segues we're doing today. These segues are perfect today. Perfect. I kind of want to, I don't know how consistent this series will be, but it's top five Friday. I want to try and come up with the top five list every single Friday because when I've been watching these, like the pivot and I am athlete and stuff like that, they have these famous athletes on and every single time with their position group, like Deshaun Jackson, top 10, top five wide receivers, top five return specialists, Chris Johnson, top five running backs. They always ask them their top five, this top five, that. So I'm like, you know what? Let's jump on the bandwagon here. Now, if I was on I Am Athlete, or The Pivot, or a podcast like that, I played quarterback and running back my entire life. 
So I played running back from sixth grade until seventh grade. <laughs> no, I flag football, I played running back. So when did I play flag football? We had these orange and black uniforms, these red and gold uniforms. I think I played flag football, started playing flag football in third grade. So I played running back from third grade to seventh grade, and then quarterback from seventh grade until you know my sophomore year of college. So I could do both. I could really do both. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do top five quarterbacks today. And if you listen to the show long enough, you know who my top five quarterbacks are. You know who my top five quarterbacks in NFL history are. The thing is, because you guys should know what my top five quarterbacks in NFL history are, I'm not going to list the top three. So Brady, Montana, Manning, who I think are the only three that should ever be mentioned as the top three greatest quarterbacks of all time, are not on there. Those are the only three that should be mentioned in that order. Brady, Montana, Manning. Every other list that has a quarterback ranking is null and void if those three are not in the top three. You can put Manning above... No, you can't. You can't. I was going to try and justify saying Manning over Montana, but you, you can't. I mean, you can, but you're wrong. So we're not going to try and do that here. Brady's unquestionably the greatest quarterback of all time. Joe Montana was that before Brady passed him in Super Bowls. And then Peyton Manning was just Mr. Consistent. And except for his rookie year, because he does hold the rookie record for interceptions. <laughs> Throwing over the ugliest football of all time. But he is easily a top three quarterback in NFL history. Now, we're going to start at number five, because I flip back and forth between this guy a lot. There's a few players I was going to mention here. So I got the likes of Steve Young mentioned. You know, we've talked about Steve Young all the time. I love Steve Young. Roger Staubach, had to mention him. Terry Bradshaw. Though he was benched before the super, first Super Bowl with Joe, for Joe Gillum in Pittsburgh with Chuck Knoll, because him and Chuck Knoll didn't get along. I do think the four Super Bowl, he won four Super Bowls. So he has to be mentioned in there. He has to be mentioned there, won four Super Bowls. We got like Brett Favre. Sadly, I didn't put Aaron Rodgers in here. So at number five, I have Drew Brees. And I know a lot of people out there will go like, and I agree with this. I agree 100% with this. So I'm not going to sit here and try to defend everything that Drew Brees did in his NFL career is greater than the other quarterbacks mentioned. Because, like, you look at Drew Brees. Ah, do I want to put Drew Brees above Aaron Rodgers? Or Steve Young? Now I'm, now I'm questioning it. Now I'm questioning it. Ah, look what you did, Logan. Look what you did. <sighs> you know what? No, I, I put it on there. I'll stick with it. Drew Brees has, like, four or five of the top ten 5,000-yard passing seasons in NFL history. People could call him a stat patter, but this dude is the most accurate quarterback of NFL history, in NFL history. I don't know who else would compare to him, but Drew Brees was like that accuracy-wise. He may not have been the tallest. He may not have had the strongest arm. Drew ripped up his shoulder in San Diego. And led the Saints to the playoffs. And this is a Saints team. This ain't like Rodgers with the Packers or Favre with the Packers or Steve Young with the 49ers. The, the Saints winning a Super Bowl at any point in their history, if you look at the New Orleans Saints through the history books, to ever think that franchise would win a Super Bowl is kind of crazy to think about. They were bad, bad. Watch Archie Manning highlights. Like, this dude was running for his freaking life. Like, Archie Manning is 10 times the athlete Eli or Peyton are just because he had a lot of practice running around in New Orleans with this terrible team he had around him. Then you had, like, in the early 2000s, you had Aaron Brooks at quarterback, cousin of Michael Vick, which I always found interesting when I was reading my history books when I was a kid. Like, the Saints were nothing, nothing. I think Jake DeLome was drafted by the Saints. He never, I don't think he ever played for him. He's a Panthers guy. 
Like the Saints weren't good. They were bad. Patrick Ramsey, Heath Schuler, like they had some terrible, terrible teams. You cannot name me one significant Saints season pre that Super Bowl. And I get there's a lot of drama around with the with the whole bounty gate and things like that, but in regards to what Drew Brees did individually, he brought the Saints to relevance. Like with Rodgers and the Packers, or far far brought the Packers back to relevance, but Rodgers didn't do that with the Packers. Steve Young didn't do that with the 49ers. Rodgers Staubach to a certain extent did that with the Cowboys because the Cowboys were teeter tottering a little bit before Staubach got there. Like between um oh crap, who's their quarterback? Number 17. He played in those Super Bowls when the in the NFL championship games. What the hell was his name? I could picture him. He was an actor after he got done playing. It's not Earl Morrill. But uh I, I can't think of it. When they played in the Alamo Dome, uh, Alamo Bowl, I don't know what the I don't remember what his name is. But Drew Brees brought that Saints team to relevance. Like, that Saints team, the Saints are nothing without Drew Brees. They are a nothing organization without Drew Brees. Nothing. Like, Deuce McAllister, Joe Horn. Maybe there's other players that I'm forgetting about before Drew Brees, but they didn't have a lot. They really didn't. And again, I apologize if I'm forgetting anybody, but those are two that I remember the most, at least growing up. I had nothing. I think Drew Brees deserves the spot in the top 10, or at least top five in this list. I do understand why people don't put him in the top five or top 10, so I'm not going to sit here and bash, like, if you don't have Drew Brees in your top five or top 10, you are you don't know football. You don't know this. I am perfectly okay with Aaron Rodgers being in the top 10. Perfectly fine with Brett Favre being in the top 10. Brett Favre threw more, has thrown more interceptions in NFL history than anybody, but won three straight MVPs. Won a Super Bowl in the process. So, like, I understand the love for Brett Favre. Aaron Rodgers has, the, I think, joint most MVPs in the NFL history with Peyton Manning. So I understand that. But, man, Drew Brees, I think he deserves it. Number four, this one might piss off some people because I know a lot of people really don't like mentioning the old-timey football stuff. But I feel like Otto Graham has to be mentioned in here. I might have thrown him at number 10, or number 5, I guess. But... Otto Graham was a baller. Dude won more championships than not in his career. Dude played for what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years in the league won seven championships. And this is kind of a weird thing that we get into when we're talking about the history of the NFL. It seems like before the Super Bowl, nothing really matters, which the Super Bowl's been a thing for so long, it kind of makes sense. Like when you see teams like the Bills, the Chargers, the, the Lions bring up championships... You don't really care about these the NFL or AFL championship games in the 40s and 60s, 40s and 50s. No one really cares. But it still happened. And there were great players in those history but in those teams. And Otto Graham, the reason I picked Otto Graham isn't he, I mean, even just because the player. Like Madden 2003. I think it was Madden 03, right? Madden 02. Madden 03. We had a Windows 98 desktop computer for about a thousand years. We just got rid of it like two years ago. But Madden 03 on the computer disc was one of the games I used to play all the time. That one and backyard football. Two games I always played growing up. And then the disc got corrupted so that we couldn't really play the game anymore. So I played backyard football religiously growing up. But Madden 03, you could play with the old timey teams. So you could play with like the old school Lions, the old school Packers, the like 
You can play with all these. You can play with Bobby Lane. You can play with Bart Starr, Paul Horning, all these guys. And you can play with the Browns. And Otto Graham, I will never forget this because he wore number 60. He wore number 60 and 14. And I'm not saying 16. 60. 60. Like old, old, old timey number. 60 as a quarterback. And still managed to win seven NFL championships. Won MVP three times. And when you're looking at players in this era, rare. this is kind of rare at this point. But he threw more touchdowns than interceptions. When you see these old school quarterbacks, a lot of the times they throw more interceptions than touchdowns. Like Joe Namath is a prime example of that. Who a lot of people really don't like Joe Namath anymore. But you understand why he's one of the greats. Terry Bradshaw has two more touchdowns than interceptions. Two more touchdowns than interceptions. And he won four Super Bowls. Like, Otto Graham started off his career with five straight NFL championship games. <laughs> like, dude, but his second year in the league, he put, like, his first few years in the league, put up co- good quarterback numbers for today's NFL. 17 touchdowns, five picks. 25 touchdowns, 11 picks. Tw- 25 touchdowns, 15 picks. There are years that Brett Favre had these numbers. Now, he did have one year he threw 24 interceptions, but that's when he was getting older. But he leads the NFL in yards per attempt, yards per completion. Nine point yards, nine yards per attempt. Jeez, per completion. Like, Otto Graham, with those Browns teams, was that dude. He won an MVP his final year in the NFL. Like, final year in the NFL. And was a pretty decent coach as well. Not necessarily in the NFL, but at the college level, he was a pretty decent coach. I know the Coast Guard had a football team, but I guess they did back in the day. <laughs> but I think Otto Graham definitely deserves a spot in the list of the all-time greats. Number three, uh, Dan Marino. I don't think the NFL would be the same thing without Dan Marino. Like, Dan put up numbers that were insane at a time that people weren't putting up insane numbers throwing the football. His second year in the league, he threw for 5,000 yards. Second year in the league, 48 touchdowns in 1984. This is not today. 1984, 5,000 yards, 48 touchdowns. Completed 64% of his passes. This is not a time when quarterbacks were traditionally doing that. That was not a thing people did. And he went to the Super Bowl as one and only Super Bowl, second year in the league, goes 14-2, and two, break, throws for all those yards, and never goes back. Never wins another MVP after that either. I mean, that's a knock against Drew Brees, too. Drew Brees never won an MVP. Rodgers has won four or five. Brett Favre has won three. Steve Young won one. So it's like, you got to pick and choose here. But Dan Marino changed the NFL. Not, not like, you can be nitpicky and go, like, all this stuff about Dan Marino not winning anything in his entire career. I don't care. Dude changed the league. No one was doing this at the time. And great, for lesser extent, dude for, threw for 420 touchdowns, LOL. So, like, just that alone. Funny numbers. Funny numbers. But he changed it. And his career with a nasty, nasty, like, 55 to nothing blow to the Jaguars. But, man, other than that, <laughs> he had a pretty successful career. Laces out, Dan, from Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Now, next one on this list, we got the boy, the original, the original, original gunslinger, Johnny Unitas. Johnny Unitas held every, almost every single passing record until Drew Brees came along. And Drew Brees broke all his records. He had the record for most touchdowns in a career of 290. No, 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 no. What was the no? What was the record that Drew Brees broke? 290 is on a record. Dan Marino 420. We just made that up. 
what was the record that Drew Brees broke? I do not remember what it was. But either way, Johnny Unitas from I think it was a 15th round draft pick or something. Not okay, 9th round draft pick. I think Bart Starr was a 15th round draft pick. Either way, like he was drafted by the Steelers, never did anything. Like worked on a steel mill or something and then got went to the Baltimore Colts and started dominating right away. Like his second year league, 24 touchdowns. He threw 32 passing touchdowns in 1959. 32 in that version of the NFL. I know, like, that version of the NFL. Whatever. It doesn't matter. That you have to honor the legends that played before today. I don't care if they played in a totally different brand of football than what we're used to now, where people are throwing 32 touchdowns before week 10. Like, it's, I don't care. I really don't care. Like, these numbers back then were insane. And dude won three Super Bowls. Or won one Super Bowl, three NFL championships. Sorry. Lost the Jets in the Super Bowl. <laughs> won three MVPs as well. Like, Johnny Unitas, again, before Drew Brees came along, Johnny Unitas held almost every single record in NFL history. Almost. So, in a traditional top five, Johnny Unitas would be number five. And then number four, or I get number, number one on this list, is John Elway. I think most people have John Elway in their top five. I think. But John Elway didn't win two Super Bowls till the end of his career, so we might be looking at John Elway's career a little bit differently if he did not get those two Super Bowl wins in the last two years of his career, beating the Packers and the Falcons in the Super Bowl. So maybe we look at it a little differently, Pat, if that didn't happen. But dude went to four Super Like It went to, what, he lost to the 49ers, the Giants. Did he just lose the 49ers and Giants? I think he lost three Super Bowls. He lost the 49ers twice. I think that's what happened. Could be wrong. This stuff's not really popping up on his Wikipedia page. <laughs> but Joe Mon- or John Elway was a very, very mobile quarterback for that time. Refused to play for the Baltimore Colts. Was like, nah, I ain't going there. I'm going to pl- play for the Yankees instead. And then they traded him to Denver. Had a ton of success in Denver. One of the most naturally gifted quarterbacks in the NFL has ever seen. Like, I'm not a massive fan of John Elway. I don't really care about John Elway. Play for the Broncos. I don't like the Broncos. But I have to give the dude his his respect, and I think he is a top-five quarterback in the NFL, in the history of the NFL. So if we're going like normal top-five quarterbacks in NFL history, Brady, Montana, Manning, Elway, Unitas. I think those are the top-five quarterbacks in NFL history. And then once we get past that, then we've got Marino, we've got Otto Graham, we got Drew Brees, and then you can start talking about Steve Young, Joe Mont- uh, Steve Young, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, Roger Staubach. All those guys. Like you're wondering, I didn't mention Troy Aikman. I don't put Troy Aikman up there. I get dude won three Super Bowls. I really don't care. If you don't win those three Super Bowls, how how little are we talking about Troy Aikman? I get that he was integ- integral to that team. I get that. But numbers-wise, come on. He ain't really up there with the other like legit guys. I would take Jim Kelly over Troy Aikman. I get Troy Aikman beat Jim Kelly in two Super Bowls. I don't care. I would take Jim Kelly over him. And then we got to start looking at what other quarterbacks from today's game get mentioned. There's already brought up Brady and Rodgers. I think Mahomes is definitely on his way there. If Josh Allen keeps going in this direction, you would expect him to finish off near that realm. Not saying like top 10 or anything, but like in the conversation, I guess. But I think that might be it. I mean, Lamar Jackson, second ever unanimous MVP. I think he's going to be going down in the history books. I mean, he's had back-to-back 1,000-yard rushing seasons. Never happened in NFL history before he rushed for 1,000. He did it again. Like, Steve Young was a running quarterback. we got Randall Cunningham running quarterback. Vic, obviously. 
But then Staubach was a running quarterback. Fran Tarkington was a running quarterback. Like, you had all Joe, John Elway, Brett Favre liked to move around quite a bit. But, yeah, that's my top five quarterbacks in NFL history without Brady, Montana, or Manning. And that's John Elway, Johnny Nice, Dan Marino, Otto Graham, and Drew Brees. Again, if I'm forgetting somebody, I apologize. If I didn't have Aaron Rodgers in here, I'm sorry. Because what I say, Drew Brees and Aaron – like, the debate between Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers will go on forever. I don't really care. I think that's the, that's the player I struggle with the most, Drew Brees or Rodgers. So, yeah, I struggle with that one a little bit. But I ate it, regardless of how I feel now. I think Drew Brees does deserve at least a conversation in the top ten. Again, I know a lot of people are like, oh, stat pattern, boring, whatever. But, again, the Saints would be nothing if Drew Brees did not decide to sign for them. Like, if, if Nick Saban has way in Miami, we might be talking about the Saints a lot differently if they did end up getting Drew Brees. Because the Dolphins went with Dante Culpepper instead, and look where that got him. Nick Saban was out of the league in a year. By his own choice, he didn't get fired or anything. He went 9-7, and seven, but went to Bama, and you know how that all, that all went down. I guess him and Jimbo Fisher are cool now. That's awesome. So good friends being back and being good friends. So that's We're all about positivity here on the Logan Blackman Show. Sometimes. I mean, there's obviously times for you know negativity and stuff like that. Like the Detroit Lions. Traditionally a very negative franchise. Very negative franchise. And I see a quote on Instagram today. Dan Campbell, every time we hear the SOL, same old Lions, and all that stuff, I think it fuels our fire. We love it. I think that's how we all feel. That's how we all talk. That's how we all think. There's nothing fake about it. And I, for one, you know what? I agree with Dan Campbell. I like Dan Campbell. I think he was a lot better than what a lot of people gave him credit for, including myself, did at the start of the season. Now, I think everybody expected Lions to finish with the second or first overall pick in the draft. I think that was kind of expected a lot at that point. But the Lions were some; they were above 500 against the spread. So you know what they always say: good teams win, great teams cover. That's kind of the situation the Lions are in. I think they'll be a lot better this year. So the Lions not being as negative there. And another thing I could be negative about: I saw this on it, on Twitter today. Mike Tannenbaum said Mac Jones is a legit MVP candidate. No, he's not. As long as Mahomes, Allen, Lamar, Brady, Rogers, Burrow, Herbert, Russell Wilson, all these quarterbacks are around, he ain't a legit MVP candidate. I'm sorry, you can I you call me a hater or whatever. I like Mac Jones. I defended Mike jo- Mac Jones like crazy in the NFL draft. That dude ain't winning MVP because he ain't winning his division as long as Josh Allen's there. He ain't doing that. He ain't getting past Josh Allen. He ain't getting past the Chiefs. Like MVPs, unless you're Tom Brady, like you you can't just work with anybody. You can't like. Devont, inj- off to injure Javante Parker, Jacoby Myers, and Kendrick Bourne are his top three wide receivers with Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. I'm sorry. Matt Jones ain't winning MVP. No, I guess I should say no one really thought he'd be a finals for the Heisman either, and he did that. So maybe I should just shut my mouth about that, but I don't really think he's an MVP candidate. I'm sorry. Like, if I'm going as dark, dark horse of an MVP candidate I can get, like as far down as I'm going, the last guy I'm thinking for MVP is Jalen Hurts. Matt Jones ain't better than Jalen Hurts. That's where it stops. And even if he is, Jalen Hurts has a lot more tools in his tool chest than Mac Jones does. That would make him an MVP candidate. And I think he's got better plays around him. So that will make it a lot easier for him to win MVP than a guy like Mac Jones would. Again, you can call me a hater. I don't really care. I do not care. But Mac Jones ain't MVP candidate. And we're about positivity when it comes to the Lions. Not when it comes to Patriots, though. So, yeah. Screw off. So, with that, with Mac Jones, he was a rookie last year. Uh, got drafted 15th overall by the New England Patriots. Uh, 
the direct heir replacement to Thomas Edward Brady Jr., the most like-for-like player you could see with Tom Brady, not like every time during the combine we had to bring it up. Like, oh, he's got the, the combine picture. He ain't the most physically imposing quarterback. He don't have the strongest arm, but he's got a will to win. He's got He's competitive. So, yeah, he's similar to Tom Brady in that aspect, but I don't think he won an MVP. Tom Brady didn't win an MVP his second year in the league. Mac Jones sure as hell ain't doing that either. So, yeah. But with Mac Jones getting drafted, I mean, we have a lot of good rookies in the NFL. We had a lot of good rookies this past year. And we got a lot of good rookies coming into the league. Like, I'm really excited to see the likes of Brees Hall. I'm excited to see what, how soon Kenny Pickett starts for the Pittsburgh Steelers or if Desmond Ritter starts week one for the Falcons, which I think could be a realistic possibility. I don't know. I do not know. But there's a lot of excitement around rookies in the NFL. So with the NFL draft, 2023 NFL draft, taking place all the way on April 27th of 2023, I thought that would be a good idea for right now, at least I think it's April 27th, 23rd NFL draft. Okay, when does it start? April 27th, 2023. I thought for now, for today, not a mock draft, not a mock draft. We're going to try and get mock draft out before Wednesday. Because Wednesday is the however many month anniversary until the 2023 NFL draft, July 27th. So uh, I feel like that'd be a proper time to do that. If not, we'll do it on Friday. Because Fridays are fun for mock drafts and stuff like that and player rankings. But speaking of player rankings, that's what we're going to do right now. <laughs> we're going to do player rankings way too early, insanely early. Player rankings for the 2023 NFL draft. And I think it's fun. I think it's fun. You might think differently. You might absolutely hate these player rankings. You might think, Logan, where are Spencer Peters on this list? And I will go, he's on his own tier. Spencer Peters by himself. So I don't need to worry about Spencer Peters not getting mentioned on this list because he isn't mentioned. He's on a list in our hearts. Spencer Peters is on that special list in our hearts that tells us that he is the best quarterback in this draft class by far. So with that being said, I'm going to rattle through the top 10, and then we'll go by position by position. So I have tw- top 20. I did this like ESPN where you do 25 top players. Or however many top players you want. Give reasoning for the top 25 players. Doesn't matter position. And then you have your different position groups at the bottom. Okay? So we've got quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, tackle, interior lineman, interior D lineman, edge rusher, linebacker, corner, safety. So those are all the positions we have. So starting off at number one, I think this is or should be pretty unanimous at this point. It's Will Anderson from Alabama. If he went out this past draft, if he was able to do that, he would have been the number one overpick in the draft. Like just comparing. Like we we talked about this when when uh, Bryce Young won the Heisman, when Aiden Hutchinson came second. Like I'm not saying Aiden Hutchinson didn't deserve to come second in the Heisman. I think Aiden Hutchinson towards the end of the season had some of the best football we've seen in college football. So it made sense for him to come in second, second overall pick and everything. But if you compare Will Anderson's numbers to Aiden Hutchinson, like eight, Will Anderson, 17 and a half sacks for led the nation, 31 tackles for a loss. Loss, led the nation in both categories, rendered nine quarterback hurries, 79 quarterback pressures, and two pass breakups. Okay? Aiden Hutchinson, who finished second in the Heisman race, was drafted second by the Lions, who, again, very deserving. 16 less tackles for loss, three and a half less sacks. Now, he had some other numbers that were very comparable to Will Anderson that might have been better, compare like closer, but when you're an edge rusher, rightly or wrongly, you are judged based off your sack numbers, your sack production. Tackles for loss production. When you have 16 less tackles for loss and three and a half less sacks, sacks, and you finish three spots above a dude in the Heisman race, I'm going to take a little bit of an issue. Not, like, big-time issue with that. 
But Anderson's extremely fast. Working as an outside linebacker, 4-3 D end. Power, spin move, work rate, everything you're looking for an edge rusher. Way Anderson is that. You ain't going to deny him getting after the quarterback. And I would fully expect him to dominate this year. I mean, he had, I think he had 10 sacks his first year. 17 and a half sacks. So we're going by the numbers. He's got 25 sacks next year. So, I don't know. No pressure, Will. But, uh... Hope you get 25 sacks, which would be pretty cool. I would That would honestly be very impressive. If any dude got 25 sacks in a season, especially in the best conference in college football, I'd be very surprised. I'd be very, very surprised. And speaking with Alabama, we brought up Bryce Young before he's at number two. And I'm just going to – number three, C.J. Stroud. Like, if you compare the two quarterbacks, it's, it just depends on who you ask on who's the number one or number two guy between these two. There's other good quarterbacks in this draft class, but the top two guys are pretty cut and dry at this point. If you see another guy above Stroud or Young, they're just trying to be different or trying to get clicks and stuff like that because just watching what they did last year, how can you honestly rank anybody close to what they did last year? Bryce Young won the Heisman. C.J. Stroud came fourth in the Heisman. But C.J. Stroud's last game in college football last year threw for 573 yards. Towards the end of the season last year, Stroud threw 19 touchdowns, just one interception between Purdue, Michigan State, Michigan, and Utah, all top 20 teams at the time they played them. Utah in the Rose Bowl, I know they lost Michigan. They got battered by Michigan, but still 19 touchdowns and one interception. 573 yards while completing 80.4% of his pass in the Rose Bowl against Utah. With Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave out. So that's big. Those two guys went 10th and 11th in the NFL draft this past year. So... Why is Stroud higher or lower than Bryce Young? Well, if you've listened to the show long enough, like dating back before the season Mac Jones started, we have been on the Bryce Young hype train for about two years now. Two years. I, I, I don't even need to prove it, but you could go back to Logan Blackman shows back then and hear me talk about the Mac Jones versus Bryce Young quarterback controversy, which wasn't existing at the time because it was kind of a situation where it was one guy got the starting job. Mac Jones. Did Mac Jones really do anything to lose the starting job? No. It does not matter how much more talented Bryce Young may be than Mac Jones or how much more talented Justin Fields was than Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm just went to a national championship game. You ain't benching him for this, granted, a better quarterback in Justin Fields, but you ain't benching him for a freshman. He lost out on Justin Fields, and I, in hindsight, I'm sure Kirby Smart would love himself Justin Fields back and Jake Fromm gone. But that's not what happened. And when you're a head coach, you've got these loyalties like, man, this dude didn't really do anything to lose the job. Especially these old school head coaches like Nick Saban. Mac Jones did not do anything to lose that job. So Mac Jones rightfully did not lose the job and won a national championship, came third in the Heisman race. Like, Mac Jones did that without Jalen Waddell that year. Jalen Waddell played through week five, broke his ankle, didn't play till the national championship game and probably should have just never played that game. And I commend him for that a lot. And I said at the time, when before Jalen Wall got hurt, Jalen Wall is better than Devontae Smith. And then Jalen Wall got hurt, Devontae Smith wins the Heisman, and I'm not taking anything away from Devontae Smith because Devontae Smith, first wide receiver to win the Heisman since Denton Howard. So I don't want to take anything away from Devontae Smith, but I do still think now Jalen Wall is still better than Devontae Smith, even though Jalen Wall wasn't playing. It was kind of a situation like this. I think Bryce Young is better than Mac Jones, but Bryce Young was not playing. And Bryce Young went off this year. Now, this past year, the Heisman Trophy did not really hit the same as it used to. Like, it felt like this past year was like, no one wants to win the Heisman this year. No one really wants to win the Heisman. 
But then you see Bryce Young go absolutely batshit crazy in the SEC championship game. And you're like, okay. Yeah, against the number one defense in college football, uh, one of the greatest of all time, actually. Uh, Bryce Young <laughs> goes for 421 yards and three touchdowns. Against Arkansas, a few weeks before that, in a very close game, Arkansas played very, very well. KJ Jefferson, Traylon Burks played very well in that game. 559 yards and five touchdowns. Like, he did throw for five touchdowns against New Mexico State, but that's that's New Mexico State, so no one really cares. But he threw for four touchdowns against Mississippi State, dominating game, threw five against <laughs> Southern Mississippi, three against Florida, four against Miami, who were way outmatched that game. That was one of the easiest bets I've made in my life, picking Alabama in that game. Easiest bets, one of them. But Bryce Young's that dude. He kind of struggled against, you know, Cincinnati, or not Cincinnati, but Georgia in the national championship game. Threw the ball 57 times, which is a career high for him. Threw two interceptions, one touchdown, 369 yards. But Georgia recorrected. I mean, Bryce Young dismantled Georgia in the SEC championship game. Three touchdowns, also had one on the ground. That was his Heisman game, the Georgia game. I know he only completed 59% of his passes, but that was the game. And he struggled a little bit against Auburn, but with young quarterbacks like this, what you want to see, yes, you want to play really, really well the entire game. What you want to see is them improve as the game gets on. And a game against Auburn, which Alabama was not playing very good. Bryce Young was not playing very good. He completed 49% of his pass that game. But as the game went on, Bryce Young did get better. And he came up big when it mattered for Alabama to avoid an upset loss to, to Auburn in a four-overtime game. It's like Bryce Young, and I think this is something that will kind of fly under the radar when he gets drafted. Bryce Young is a whole hell of a lot more mobile than what his stats say. Like last year, Bryce Young totaled a whopping zero yards rushing. 81 attempts, zero yards rushing, three touchdowns. Bryce Young is a whole hell of a lot more athletic than zero yards rushing. It's just now he's not asked to do it. I know Jalen Hurts. I'm well aware of Jalen Hurts having really good rushing numbers at Alabama. But when you compare them as quarterbacks, when they first started... Jalen Hurts was not seen as the legit quarterback until he transferred to Oklahoma. That was not a thing. Jalen Hurts as a draftable quarterback was not a, a thing when he was at Alabama. But Jalen Hurts was really talented, so they utilized his skills in the run game and his size, like weight-wise and muscle-wise. Dude was a power lifter in high school. To run over people, run the ball, he wasn't that gifted of a thrower. He wasn't that great of a natural quarterback, but it worked. It worked. Bryce Young is a more natural quarterback by a lot than Jalen Hurts. And Bryce Young has one of the fastest throwing motions in college football. Like It comes out laser speed. Now, one thing that I would say he probably needs to work on is not throwing it as hard when he's throwing it three yards. Like He throws it at 100 miles an hour when he's hitting a check down. Like, this dude does not have an off switch with his arm. It's always super freaking hard. Which works for him. I mean, he had a lot of success with it last year. I don't really want to change anything. If it ain't broke, don't fix it type thing. But... Yeah, the difference between him and Stroud, I think Stroud is the more prototypical quarterback, and Stroud's a lot bigger. Stroud's 6'3", 215. Bryce Young is maybe six foot. I don't even think that. I do not. ESPN lists him at six foot 194. I refuse to believe this dude's six foot tall. I refuse to believe that. This is the situation we talked about earlier where people are giving up their height and stuff. Like, he ain't six foot. He might be 5'10". Might be. Like, when he was coming out of high school, people compared him to Russell Wilson and Kyrie Ir- Kyler Irving. Kyler Murray, good lord. The guy we talked about earlier. 
and you watch him play in high school, that's what he did. But he's not asked to do that at Bama. You have powerhouse running backs behind you. You have Brian Robinson behind you. You're going to have Jameer Gibbs this year. Like, he's not going to be asked to run the football. You have one of the best, if not the best, offensive line in college football. You can sit back and wait and just zip the ball over the field when you have these elite weapons. Why, when you have John Mechie and Jamison Williams, would you just sit back and let him run the ball? Feed your best guys. Feed Jamison Williams, who was the best receiver in college football last year until he got hurt. Best receiver in the draft, anyways. He's the best receiver in college football regardless. John Mechie, beast until he got hurt. And this year, Tyler Harrell, I'm scared. I'm scared and excited to see what him and Tyler Harrell do. Tyler Harrell just transferred from Louisville. I'm very excited to see what they do together. You saw what Jameson Williams did? Jameson Williams kind of came out of nowhere when he transferred from Ohio State to Alabama. Tyler Harrell's, I would expect him to kind of do something similar. But the zip of his arm, his athleticism, his poise, I'm giving that to Bryce Young. I think C.J. Stroud, I think the thing with him is the ups and downs. Like, when C.J. Stroud's up, there's not a lot of people that are better than him. When he's down, it can be kind of hard to watch. Like, you saw at times against Oregon when he was just sailing passes left, right, and center. It was kind of hard to watch. Kind of hard to watch. And that was around the time when everybody was bashing him, saying that, oh, Ohio State should play one of the other five-star quarterbacks in there. Like, no. C.J. Stroud's a very good quarterback. Like, we did a whole show dedicated to defending C.J. Stroud's honor. And I'm a Hawkeye fan, and he plays for Ohio State. I do not have any sympathy for Ohio State. But the dude's a freshman. His first year playing college football. His first year starting in college football. Let the kid figure it out. In the games against Minnesota, that, the first game he ever started in college, against Minnesota, this is a prime example of what I was talking about earlier, about getting better as the game goes on. Bryce C.J. Stroud did not play very well at the start of that game. And then once the third, fourth quarter were kicking off, Ohio State started pulling away from the game. They got their stars involved, which is what he needed to do at the time. Now C.J. Stroud is that guy. He's that dude. He's no, there's no question marks about what C.J. Stroud can do anymore. Like We saw that. Against top-ranked opponents, dude had one game where he completed less than 80% of his passes. In the final four games of the year, one game, and he completed 69.4% of his passes in that one game. Threw 19 touchdowns and one pick through four games. That is ridiculous stuff right there. I think the thing with Stroud, he kind of came on later than Bryce Young did. Bryce Young, we knew what was going to happen. Bryce CJ Stroud struggled at the out the gate, but great quarterbacks. It'll be fun to watch them how they compete this year. And if college football is rigged, they should be the national championship this year. That's how we decided the best quarterback in college football is. Who's going to get drafted first? Ohio State, Bama, national championship. I want it to happen. I want it to happen. And at number four, we have a team that finished national, won national championship last year. That's Jalen Carter. And Jalen Carter is the next great Georgia defensive lineman after the Trayvon Walkers, the Devontae Wise, the Jordan Davises, those guys. Jalen Carter was a backup to those guys, and he's already a top four player in the draft. He might even be top two. I have a hard time with the quarterback situation. I could easily put Jalen Carter at number two. Easily. I'm not putting him at one yet, but I could easily put him at two. Easily. I would have no problem with it either. I want the quarterback side-by-side, side, but I could put Jalen Carter at two or four. That's how we're looking. I ain't putting him at three because I don't want to separate Stroud and Young. I don't think they're a player apart, regardless of the position that's separating them. But Jalen Carter is a dominant player. With a team that has the ranked the best college football defense, almost maybe of all time, maybe of all time, six foot three, 310 pounds. He doesn't really have the height you're looking for, but in their three-four three, defensive front, he'll be a perfect defensive end in that. 
one of the most explosive, explosive athletes in college football. Much like Trayvon Walker last year. Like, this dude is explosive. And he had to sit behind these guys. Like, it must be nice to have five stars on five stars on five stars and replacements that are just easy like that. You don't have that at Iowa or Iowa State. You don't have that. <laughs> you get a five-star, they're a national treasure or state treasure. Getting Xavier Nwangpa and Caden Proctor is insane. That never happened before. But now it happens. 37 total tackles this year, three sacks last season. Explosive. Dominant in the run game can be a presence in the pass game. Can be. I know three sacks is nothing to go like, oh, my God, he's the most insane pass rusher in the country. He's really disruptive. Let's just put it like that. Number five, Jackson Smith and Jigba. The main recipient of C.J. Stroud's insanity game against Utah was <laughs> was this man. 347 yards and 15 catches, three touchdowns. 347 yards, <laughs> 15 catches. That is obviously new NCAA record. 15 receptions, new personal record. Because he got that against Nebraska. Like, craziness. And I'm intrigued to see what... So, almost all, apart from eight <laughs> of his catches throughout his college career, have been in the slot. Now, with Stroud, with uh, Wilson and Alave gone, you're going to need to see him play more outside. And this will help him immensely. People in the NFL will love to see a guy that can rotate both in and outside. Gives him positional versatility because we bring that up a lot in the draft. Positional versatility is very, very key. Like when you have these top, top guys in the draft, they can do multiple things for their positions. Play slot or inside, slot or outside, that'll be perfect. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is the clear number one right now, clear number one guy right now. But other guys who I don't know are in the top 10, they're not in the top 10, but Kayshawn Butte from LSU and Jordan Addison. And you can do like Quentin Johnston from TCU, Josh Downs. We mentioned Tyler Harrell before from Alabama. There's some good wide receivers in this draft class, so I don't want to take anything away from him, but Jackson Smith and Jigba is the guy right now. He may not have that breakaway speed, but he's one of the most crisp runners in college football, and he will make you miss with the ball in his hands. Number six, Brian Bracey. I don't know how to say his Bressy. I'm going to say Bressy. Tore his ACL last year, so he didn't really get to see a lot of action or see a lot of Bressy last season. But you're coming, it's kind of a similar situation to that of Aiden Hutchinson last year, where Aiden Hutchinson came into the season coming off a leg injury. I don't remember exactly what the leg injury was, but leg injury, freak athlete. Everybody knew that going into the season that Aiden Hutchinson is a very, very good athlete. We just didn't know what to expect him to come back from an injury. Bressy is coming back from a torn ACL. People really don't know how he's going to come back from that. But with today's medical science and stuff like that, and the advances in technology we have, you would expect him to come back even stronger than what he was before. And in Clemson, you have a history of defensive linemen. Like, just the past few years alone, Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence, both getting their fifth-year options accepted at their NFL teams that got drafted by in 2019, two top 17 picks. Bressy, if he can stay healthy, can potentially be a top three player this draft. Potentially. If he can stay healthy. And right now, according to all the reports, I know this is what they're supposed to say. I understand completely this is what Clemson are supposed to say. But he's been the most dominant player at Clemson this offseason. I, again, I'm well aware this is what they're supposed to say, but it is still something to mention. Number seven, Michael Mayer, baby Gronk. So, uh, yeah, that's all we need to say about that. Broke the NCAA, broke the Notre Dame record for receiving yards by a tight end with 840. Uh, finished second on the team receiving 48 yards behind Kevin Austin Jr., who's not coming back this year. Uh, passed Tyler Eifert's record for touchdowns, I believe, too. Or was that Kevin? I there the the yards thing was Tyler Eifert. The touchdowns. I thought I read something about 
uh, Cole Komet, who's a tight end for the Chicago Bears right now. I can't find that. I saw it once, and I haven't been able to find it since. But being named Baby Gronk, what's the one thing you expect him to do? When you hear the name Gronkowski at tight end, what's the one thing you expect, like, first thing you should think of, apart from, like, the part off-the-field stuff? On the field, what's the first thing you think of with Gronk? Blocking. Gronk is one of the most dominant, if not the most dominant blocker of a tight end in NFL history. Like, George Kittle is moving that direction, but Gronk is that guy. With his, ver- with his ability to pass, ca- pass, catch, and block, how dominant he was in the run game, he was essentially an extension of the offensive lineman plus an extension of the wide receiver court. Like, he was just everything. And that's what Michael Meyer is. Like, he paved the way or helped pave the way for two back-to-back 1,000-yard season for Kyron Williams. Now, the thing that's going to be fun this year, got a new quarterback. Jack Cohn is gone. I don't remember the quarterback, new quarterback's name. Tyler Butchner is coming in to start. You got Kyron Williams gone. He went to the NFL. And Kevin Austin Jr. is gone as well. So Meyer is the main guy in, at Notre Dame. I have no doubt that this dude couldn't get over 1,000 yards receiving. I don't know if it's ever happened before. I can't think of the last time a tight end had 1,000 yards receiving in college football. I think – well, I, hold on. Trey McBride. I think Trey McBride had it one last year because he had one touchdown, but I think he had 1,000 yards. Hold on. Uh, give me one more second. I think he had a thousand yards last year. Yes, he did. Um, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I should have just right after I said it, I was like, I think he had a thousand yards. Crap! I think he did. So it's been a long year since the last time a tight end had a thousand yards receiving in the college football. But this dude can do it. This dude can easily do it. And Notre Dame. It'll be interesting to see how he does week one because I feel like I feel, or if I remember correctly, they're playing Ohio State. I don't remember Notre Dame's schedule at the top of my head. I don't follow Notre Dame football that often, but you look at their schedule, it's not necessarily a murderer's row of teams. You got Ohio State, yes. Marshall, Cal, UNC, BYU, Stanford, UNLV, Syracuse, Clemson, current Clemson, Navy, Boston College, and USC. Like your tough games are the beginning and end of the year. Ohio State and USC. Boston College will play Notre Dame tough. I have no question about that. Stanford will probably play them tough as well. BYU always plays people tough. That's a night game too. Like They got two night games in a row between Stanford and BYU. Those will be tough games. Granted, they're both at home, I believe. Maybe one of them's like at a neutral place or something. Yeah, okay. BYU versus Notre Dame is at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Is the Stanford one anywhere special or is that just at, that's just at Notre Dame? But look, he's going to go off this year. Unless he gets hurt. Knock on wood, I don't want him to get hurt, but he should go off. Eli Ricks is at 8, and Ke- Kelly Ringo is at 9. Now, most people remember Kelly Ringo from the game stealing pick 6 against Alabama in the National Championship game. That's the first thing you're going to think of with Kelly Ringo. With Eli Ricks, it's a little bit different. Dude didn't play a whole lot last year. He was at LSU, transferred to Alabama this year, D-back U. But when he was playing, when there was a time when him and Derek Stingler were both healthy and playing, LSU had the best cornerback duo in college football. That no one really talked about because LSU was not very good. But you had Ricks and Stingley, <laughs> who went third overall when healthy. Stingley is the one of the best, if not the best, corners scouted ever. Like, dude's just that guy. He was the most dominant corner I'd seen in a very long time as a freshman. As a freshman. And even as a down year. Back-to-back down years with injuries. Question about his, you know, his commitment to football. Still goes third overall. That was after a down year where he had Liz Frank surgery. Like, dude was back and better than ever. And Eli Ricks 
is a lot is a little bigger than Derek Stingley. Derek Stingley is not the most physically imposing corner of all time. He's just very gifted ball skills and very good mobility. Ricks is 6'2", 190. Like, he is a big, big dude. Big dude. He has the speed to keep up with anybody. He ain't getting mossed by nobody either. And he has the swag that you're looking for in corners in today's NFL. You need a little bit something about you if you're a corner nowadays. Kelly Ringo, similar thing. Not as big, if I remember correctly. I didn't really get my my reasoning down for Kelly Ringo yet. I'm going to work on that tonight. But Kelly Ringo, game-stealing pick six. Okay, six, he's bigger. He's bigger. I did not. <laughs> so he had six total tackles. He's a willing, willing, willing tackler. That's the main thing here. But yeah, those two are very, very close as well. I have to keep them one pick apart. And the number 10, B. John Robinson. B. John Robinson's talented. The thing is with B. John Robinson versus any other position in this draft class, it doesn't matter if B. John Robinson is the top 10 talent in this draft class, this dude probably won't get picked till at earliest 15th. But at the latest, he ain't falling out of the first round. But you look at some of the running backs that have gone these past couple years. We didn't have a running back drafted last year. We had Jonathan Taylor fall the second round two years ago. Najee Harris and Travis Etienne were picks in the 20s. Last running back that I can remember getting drafted really high was Saquon Barkley, 2018. That just didn't happen. Josh Jacobs was drafted 28th overall, I think, by the Raiders in 2019. It just didn't happen. You don't see running backs get drafted that high that often anymore because the value of the running back in the NFL has gone down. Now we're talking about money-wise. I mean, running backs will always be important, but how people viewed value of running backs is a lot different than what it was back then. Like in 2005, you ain't seeing three running backs go in the top five. Ronnie Brown, Cadillac Williams, and Cedric Benson, that is an anomaly. That should not happen that often. Like back in 20... What was it? 17, because that was the Trubisky draft. You saw Fournette and McCaffrey go top 10. But again, the last time we saw a running back go early with Saquon, you haven't seen that a running back drafted before 20 since then. Now, there's been some good running backs. Very good. Jonathan Taylor, back-to-back 2,000-yard seasons. Got drafted second round. So, I don't know where to put... I don't know where B. John Robinson would get drafted, but I think talent-wise deserves top 10. But position-wise... Might get picked in the twenties. Might be. This is how it works nowadays. And there's some talented running backs in the draft class. Don't get don't get twisted. They're very talented running backs. But Bijan Robinson is the creme to the creme. People are comparing him draft prospect wise to Saquon Barkley. Like, do I think he'll get picked in the top two? I don't know. I don't know. Talent wise says he can, but with how they're viewing running backs, they ain't giving no big contracts to running backs anymore. Rare if they do, it's rare. The past couple years, I don't really remember the last big contract they gave away. McCaffrey got a nice little contract, but I don't remember them all, really. But that's the top ten players in the draft, for me anyways, and I know it's way too early. And there's some players that are on the outside looking in, like uh, Kayshawn Butte from LSU. You got Miles Murphy, the edge rusher from Clemson, Jordan Addison from USC, uh, Mr. Mayonnaise himself, Will Levis at number 14, and Peter Skaronski from Northwestern at 15. So, like, you're looking at some of those guys that are, could creep their way into the top 10, but just on the outside looking in. Like, Miles Murphy, I'm really close to putting him in the top 10. Butte, same thing from LSU. But top 10 for position groups, quarterbacks, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, Tyler Van Dyke from Miami, Anthony Richardson. And then I kind of struggle with the rest of it. I've rotated it around about 1,000 times. There's a lot of decent quarterbacks after that, like decent. 
but I'm struggling here. I went eventually because I know the thing is with Tanner McKee, he's playing on a bad team. He's playing on a bad team. So he doesn't really have a lot of help. But I remember last year after they beat Oregon, it all went like way down. Like production, like they lost like five straight or something like that. I think he has the potential to be a top five, top six quarterback in this draft class. But that's all we're going off right now. He has the size. He has the what you're looking for in a top quarterback. But we'll have to wait and see. Then Rattler, talent-wise, is up there with anybody. Just character stuff. Get that figured out. Yurkovic, then Hendon Hooker, then Cameron Ward. And then you got like Brennan Armstrong, Jaron Hall from BYU, KJ Jefferson from Arkansas, who I had not mentioned the last time I completely forgot about. Devin Leary, Grayson McCall, Sam Hartman. Um, any other quarterbacks I'm forgetting about? Spencer Petras, Tanner Decker. Um, who else? Theo Day. Is there anybody else that's really big-time college football player that I'm just completely completely forgetting about Tanner Morgan is he still in college I, I don't know feels like he is and we got running backs we got B. John Robinson Jameer Gibbs from Alabama transfer from Georgia Tech Tank Bigsby at Auburn Zach Evans greatest TCU running back of all time Devin Achney from Texas A&M Chris Rodriguez Zach Charbonnet from UCLA Deuce Vaughn the only thing that'll hurt Deuce Vaughn is not very big. He's about 5'9", 170, so he's not very big, but very talented. Then we got Sean Tucker from Syracuse and Eric Gray from Oklahoma. You got Blake Corum, Isaiah Davis from South Dakota State, Tra- Travis Dye, transfer from Oregon to USC, Mohamed Ibrahim coming off an Achilles tear, and Kendall Milton from Georgia. Well, I'll be mentioning there. Receivers, you got Jackson Smith and Jigba, Jordan Addison, Kayshawn Butte at – oh, and no. No, 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 no. What am I doing? Hold on. There we go. Those are either way, that's the top three. And then Tyler Harrell, I'm going on potential here. I'm going on potential here. Just based on how they used Jameson Williams last year, I I find it hard to believe Tyler Harrell's not going to go off this year. I find it really hard to believe. He's the fastest player in college football. Jameson Williams was that before. Tyler Harrell, like he's not a small guy, six foot one ninety four. He had five hundred and twenty three yards receiving last year for a running run first team with Malik Cunningham. Like, James Williams didn't really put up a lot of numbers when he was at Ohio State because he had three really good wide receivers in front of him. Or two really good wide receivers. Three, no, three. He had three in front of him. But that's all potential. I don't know. He could be terrible. But number five, Quentin Johnston from TCU. Then we got Josh Downs from North Carolina. Jermaine Burton, another tra- another Alabama wide receiver in there. Rakeem Garrett, Jarrett from Maryland. Marvin Mims from Oklahoma. And Zay Flowers from Boston College. We also got Jalen Cooper, Dante Demas from Maryland. Two Maryland guys. Aeneas Smith from A&M, Cedric Tillman from Tennessee, and Parker Washington from Penn State, who should be getting a lot of touches this year with Jahan Dotson now in the NFL. Tight ends, we got Michael Mayer from Notre Dame, we mentioned before. Eric Gilbert's kind of like an H-back type thing, almost around the team a little bit. Sam Laporta from Iowa, tight end U, got to be up there. Dalton Kincaid from Utah, Will Mallory from Miami, uh, Cameron Lutau, Latu from Alabama, Jaleel Billingsley, who's now at Texas, was at Alabama, Jaheim Bell from South Carolina, Eric All from Michigan, and Darnell Washington, not Denzel, from Georgia. Offensive tackles, Peter Skarnowski from Northwestern, Paris Johnson from Ohio State, Blake Freeland from BYU, Zion Nelson from Miami, Broderick Jones from Georgia can play guard, same with Paris Johnson, Anton Harrison from Oklahoma, Dewan Jones, another tackle from Ohio State, who got killed, killed, along with Nicholas Petit-Ferrer against Michigan last year. Jackson Kirkland from Washington, Rob, Ryan Hayes from Michigan, and Robert Scott Jr. from Florida State. 
Interior offensive line, we got Layden Robinson at guard from AM. Jarrett Patterson, a versatile guy, can play guard, center, or tackle. Andrew Voorhees, big dude, six foot six playing guard. Uh, Cooper Beebe from Kansas State. Christian Mahogany from Boston College Center. You can't really go wrong with Boston College off the line, especially when you're talking about run blocking. Uh, John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota, another center. Cedric Van Pran from Georgia. Javion Cohen from Bama. Alosigan Udutunimi. I'm totally butchered that. I'm sorry. And Cyrus Torrance from Florida. Oh, Cyrus Torrance from Florida. Interior defense lineman Jalen Carter, Brian Bressy, uh, Siaki Ika from uh, from Baylor. This dude's freaking massive. Like you thought Jordan Davis massive. This dude's six foot four, three hundred fifty six pounds, three hundred fifty eight pounds. Monster, monster dude. And it can, and is pretty active, pretty athletic for a guy that big. Much like Jordan Davis. Then we got Jocelyn Roy from LSU, Jervon Dexter from Florida, Tyler Davis. Him and Bressy should be a very good one two combo in the middle. And Kalijah Cansey from Pitt. Zach Pickens from South Carolina could move up the list a little bit. Byron Young from Bama and Keanu Benton from Wisconsin. Edge rushers, we got Will Anderson, Miles Murphy, Andre Carter from Army. That's a fun one. Andre, you know what? We'll talk about Andre Carter real quick because there's not a lot of players from Army that get mentioned in regards to the top players in the draft. But six foot he came into no he came in the army at six foot four, two hundred pounds as a wide receiver. Zero star recruit. Now is six foot seven, two hundred sixty pounds. Monster. The last time Army had a first round draft pick was nineteen forty seven, when Glenn Davis went second and Tex Coulter went seventh. When's the last time you heard a guy over the age of eight, under the age of eighty, having the name Tex? It doesn't happen. It does not happen. That's how old this is. Name's Tex getting drafted in the NFL, and Andre Carter, lengthy, lengthy DN. Leader, which you'd kind of expect with a guy coming from West Point, but kind of comes with the territory. But he's just he's just awesome. You come in as a six four wide receiver and you leave as a six foot seven defensive end, that's a possible top twenty draft pick. That's pretty damn impressive. I'll give you all the props for that. So I wanted to give him a little shout out for that. We got Nolan Smith, a little smaller, outside linebacker, about two hundred thirty pounds, but you know, Georgia extremely fast. Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame, Felix and Eduke Uzoma. From Kansas State, B.J. Ojolari from LSU, Zion Tupatula, jeez, Zion Tupuala Fatui from Washington, Zach Harrison from Iowa State, and Will McDonald from Iowa State, who's going to try and break Iowa State's 100, I don't know, it's a long-ass time, record for not having a first-round draft pick. It's been a long time. Linebackers, I, you could put them either war. I don't really care which order you put these two in. Trenton Simpson, I think, is more athletic, but Noah Sewell is a monster. He's your traditional inside linebacker. Trenton Simpson can move all over the place in the linebacker court. I put Simpson number one, but it's really 1A, 1B. Uh, then we got Jack Camel from Iowa. Cedar Falls' own Jack Camel. Henry Tuatoa from Alabama. I think you could flip around Jack Camel and Henry Tuatoa if you really wanted to. Justin Flo, Noah Sewell's partner at Oregon. Owen Papo from Auburn. We mentioned him last year. Edufan Uofoshio from Washington. Mohamed Diabati from Utah transferred. Where did he transfer from? Um, hold on. I don't remember where he transferred from. He is a transfer. But I don't remember from where. Florida. He transferred from Florida. He transferred from Florida. Then we got DeMarvey at Overshone, who's just a really lengthy linebacker. And Ventrell Miller, two guys we mentioned last year. Corners, we got Eli Risk, Kelly Ringo, 
Cam Smith from South Carolina, who a lot of people really like in early. Garrett Williams from Syracuse. Don't really hear a lot of Syracuse players mention that often. Clark Phillips from Utah. Love love Utah defenders. They're just very complete defenders. Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State. Very big corner. Uh, Tony Grimes from North Carolina. Travis Hodges Tomlinson from TCU. We mentioned him a little bit last year. Caillou Blue Kelly from Stanford. And Chris Abrams Drain from Missouri. Safeties. We got a weird amount of Alabama safeties here. We got Antonio Johnson from AM, Brandon Joseph from Notre Dame, transfer from Northwestern, Jalen Catalan from Arkansas. Then we got Jordan Battle, Malachi Moore, and Brian Branch from Alabama. Malachi Moore is more of a nickelback as opposed to Battle and Branch who are more natural safeties. Malachi Moore can play corner if need be. So he kind of just gets thrown around. I don't know where you really want to put him. He plays somewhat more safety. I don't know. Uh, JL Skinner from Boise State, Rashad Torrance Jr. from Florida, Akeem Dent from Florida State, and Tyke Smith from Georgia, who got mentioned a little bit last year. Tyke Smith, a little bit mentioned. Let's see if we may, did we forget anybody big time on here. Forget anybody big, like on the uh, like quarterback. Oh, Grace McCall. Wait, did we mention him? I don't remember. Keen Slovis, I guess we could have mentioned up here. Cam Rising, Will, Will Rogers from Mississippi State, Jake Hayner, Malik Cunningham, I think has a real shot at a, a real shot, but... Uh, outsider's chance at the Heisman Trophy this year with how good he runs the ball. Uh, yeah, I think he – I honestly, I'm not even saying that jokingly. I honestly think he has an outside shot at the Heisman this year just just because of how he runs the ball. That's pretty much it. Um, a Jareel Brock from Iowa State. Just mentioned some Iowa guys in there. I don't know. I don't want to go through every position group again and try to figure out guys I missed or didn't talk about or something like that or pay, pay my respects to O'Reilly Moss – Guess we could pay our respects to him. Iowa's going to have one of the best secondaries in college football yet again. Uh, uh, crap. Um, oh, no. Oh, no. There is one more guy I want to mention. Justin Jacobs. I was trying to find him just to make sure if he what, what position they listed him under, linebacker or safety. So, yeah. It's going to be fun. It's a long-ass way from the draft, but you know what? The draft's still fun to talk about regardless. Regardless of how you feel about it, it's fun. It, it, regardless of how you feel of me talking about it, I should say. If you're listening to this, you have to live the draft. We dedicated we dedicate most of our show to the NFL draft. So, yeah, I hope you enjoyed the show. If not, I can only apologize. I hope you enjoy the next one. If you don't enjoy that one, I can only apologize for that as well. Just leave a one-star rating if you didn't like the show. But make sure you're subscribed. Make sure to subscribe to the Apple Podcast and or Spotify accounts. I've been Logan Blackman, the whole Logan Black, host of the Logan Blackman Show. Make sure, again, you're following me on all forms of social media. I will be checking that. And with that being said, I will see you all later. Enjoy your weekend and stay cool, ladies and gentlemen. Peace.